I literally left at age 16. I look back now with a bunch of O-levels and nothing else with deep regret. You're talking about a business, 150, 200 million pound turnover. They are carrying the responsibility for that turnover. It's a massive responsibility. It is an industry that takes a hell of a toll on people's mental health. It's got a higher suicide rate than many others. This current government is doing less for the house building industry than any other government ever known. It's almost turned upon the industry. There but for the grace of God go all of us. Listeners and viewers to Blighty Talks Bricks. Um, I'm very honoured to have in as my guest today um, someone that certain things in common. Um, we're both passionate. Um, we've been in the property industry for more years than we want to definitely, if we even, even if we can remember, but 40 plus. Um, we're both big football fans. Um, Indeed, we are. We're both um, big. Wait, I just want to, can you make sure that's in focus? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Matt's already off the football bit. I've just got him a little Christmas present um, that he said he's going to keep forever. It's his Crystal Palace mug. Um, I'm not going to introduce you anymore, Matt, other than say, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm delighted to be here, Blighty. What a nice setup. I love it. I love it. I like the drinks cabinet. Globe, the well, whole I think thing, you and I have both got a little bit of a history of the occasional beer here now. So if we if we get fed up with a conversation, we can either move to the whiskey or Indeed. go on the I'm lower shelf. Fractionally uncomfortable, surrounded by Arsenal memorabilia, but but still. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been Millwall. Well, oh, no, that really would have been worse. So I'm actually very fortunate because a, a, a great client and friend of mine, Gerald Morton, who is CEO of Fairview, has got seats at. Emirates and generally I'm also fortunate insofar as when Palace are playing at Emirates not a lot of people want to take those seats up I don't understand why I don't understand why but frequently Gerald will say to me Matt if you want to use the tickets they're yours I think the last time I was there Arsenal were 4-0 up inside 25 minutes well I think I've seen decided to take their foot off the I mean, gas I think in recent seasons we had Patrick Vieira your old our old player um, legend of Arsenal as your manager, and I, I seem to think we nicked a goal in the last minute. Yeah, I seem to recall that. We were actually just about to lay a, an away win on you, and you got a very, yeah. very late equaliser. We did, because I just remember him falling to his knees in yeah. just despair. Yeah, I probably did the same thing a few hundred miles south, but I did the same thing. How are you? I'm well. I'm really, really well. And uh, I did my market cast this morning, and Blighty, before we go any further, I've got to talk about your shirt because I'm I'm now I'm a little bit annoyed with myself. I did the market cast this morning live, a 30-minute commentary on where the housing market is, and I wore the most outrageous Christmas shirt you have ever seen. And Christmas shirts generally get outrageous, don't they? Well, this one was that and then some. And I wore bright red Santa Claus trousers for the market cast. And on the way up here... I actually got changed as we were on our way up. I wasn't driving. <laughs> I actually got changed on the way up here and I walked in here and you've got that beautiful brick shirt on. 
And I wish I'd kept my. Well, I mean, on. The, the shirt is in honor of your um, cast, the, the the one you do. Yeah, you, your the market your cast. market cast. You're known for your shirts, and they get yes. talked about lots. Yes. I've seen people put on replies into summer. Do you auction them off? Do you wear them? Do you keep them? Yeah, do you yeah. go out in public with them? <laughs> Very I think seldom. somebody said. And I just thought, you know what? I gave Sasha my PA a task. I said. Go and get me a Larry Brick shirt. I love it. Wow. She's well, pulled it off. She I has mean, smashed it out the park. I've got to tell you that it, it has become a thing. Now, now this is, I promise you, this is not planned. But this shirt that I've got on today, this one here, was actually the very first shirt I wore for Market Cast One. And if you go back in YouTube and have a look, you'll see. There it is. This is the shirt, okay? Now, I just thought that was a regular sort of ordinary shirt and suddenly all the linkedin stuff started lighting up with people saying where'd you get that outrageous shirt and i thought well i can do a lot better than that and of course the one that i did this morning was market cast 16 right and there has been a separate shirt for every single one and but the reason it's but it's become a bit of a thing i i was asked to go and talk to the board of a of a very well-known um independent developer uh, in the Midlands, no names, no patrols. Yep. And I was there. Two of their chief investors were actually there for this session. I was going to talk about the property market. These guys come over, investors had come over from Ireland, very important people. And I walked in with a very smart pair of grey jeans on and a plain pink shirt. And they came over to introduce themselves. And the first thing this guy said to me, Matt, where's the crazy shirt? You're surely not going to do that in that shirt. So it has become a bit of a thing. I was, uh, I, I did a presentation to Crest and their Midlands team a few weeks ago. And one of the guys in the audience sales team at Crest said to me, what do you do? Can I have one of your old shirts? And we did a deal where he they, they do Young Lives uh, Cancer Support. Right. Uh, uh, Crest is their chosen charity, big charity. Um, very worthwhile and he made a donation to that charity and I gave him the shirt as a result. You so so you know there's a little bit of good I don't know what to do at the moment I'm I've, I've been made quite a few offers but it will be there'll be a charitable cause somewhere and I'll let them all go as a collection well it brings me nicely into mention charity I mean one of the things that we want to talk about on, on Blighty Talks Bricks is charities I know that you've been involved in a number of charities over the years and and you've done a lot of stuff in that way Absolutely. The industry, I think the industry is an amazing thing for getting mm. uh, money mm. down to lower levels and just what you're saying with the shirts there. Yeah, yeah. In recessionary times, charities get affected as well. Yeah, of course they do. And and, and uh, the industry's always been brilliant. Uh, Habitat for Humanity, I don't know whether you ever knew Mike Freshney, no longer with yes, us, I'm No, afraid. no, I did, I, when he's Crest days, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, what a great guy Mike Lovely was, man. one of my favourite people in the business, and he was a massive supporter, as was Tim Huff. Again, no longer with us, unfortunately, but Tim, another big supporter for Habitat for Humanity. I did the... Um, uh, Bewley Homes Awards Night a few weeks ago, and that whole evening was uh, in support of Lighthouse, the construction industry charity. Um, great charity for people in the industry, and sometimes we overlook that. And, and you know, it, it is a, an industry that takes a hell of a toll on people's mental health. Yep. Uh, it's got a higher suicide rate than many others. Yes. Uh, and so for Lighthouse, the construction industry charity, they support people in the industry with telephone support lines, financial support. It's a great charity. Um, and most of these do's that I do, that I attend and what have you, that I speak at, 
there's a charitable cause behind them. I I think that's great. Love that. And, and I just think all of that, what you're saying, and, it, and hopefully this podcast, you know, hopefully the industry gets behind this. And, and I, I said this in my um, first situation of talking about me. It's not about me. It's got this. This is about our industry that you and I, having both never laid a brick, and I know care I about know. it. We we know lots of people, but we do need to shine the light on everything you've just said there, and 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 I, we don't do that. Yeah, no, it's true. It's and the true. public, you know, the general public. I'm not sure. Maybe the tax man sees it, but the government. I don't think they appreciate. I mean, it's if you put the construction industry and the house building industry together. It's the biggest this country's got. Yeah, absolutely. Only, only supermarkets yeah. generate more in terms of income for the government. And I think that's part of this show. It's and about their contribution the, to infrastructure, education, to, uh, you know, you take the typical Section 106 agreement and the implications of that in financial terms, it's massive. We're talking about billions of pounds worth of infrastructure over a, a, a typical year. So it's a very, very important And, and it's great. Industry. And you do a sterling job in putting Thank yourself you. up because you do you do put yourself up there it's not easy you put yourself in environments that are you know you've got public noisy events etc and you do a great job and you've always been you know and i know that you're a media a mouthy man, little so. git Go well, on, <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> like, listen I've, I've been called a lot worse than that you're doing well um but no you you are a leader for this industry you are a front man for this industry and that's and i'm truly honored and i mean that that you've you found the time because I know you've had a long journey up to come. Question I want to ask you, how did you get into media and or property, but particularly property? Well, the, the, the media bit or the advertising bit is a bit of a story. I used to sell trucks. I used to sell commercial vehicles. Uh, and when I was just a lad, and I'm going back now to the late 70s, early 80s, 1981, I think, mm-hmm. I sold a van to an advertising agency, a car-derived van. Simca 1100 van. That's not a good van. The only sort of people that would buy a van like that would be somebody in the advertising business. And this guy's bought this van and I'm delivering it about five o'clock. One very dark, wet, windy uh, December evening, very near to Christmas. And we deliver the van up and I go into this advertising agency and we walk in beautiful reception area, stone quarry uh, tile floor, great big oak reception desk and big staircase and not a soul in sight. I can hear the faint sound of voices and stuff from behind these two big double doors. So I thought, okay, so I go and knock on the door and I don't know whether you've ever knocked on a door that is so dense that when you knock on it, it makes no sound. All it does is just hurt your hands. No sound at all. So I open the door And the music and the sound and the alcohol and everything comes pouring out. They were celebrating a big account win. They'd just won the Hermatite account. Do you remember Hermatite gaskets that used to squirt on your cylinder head before, on your cylinder block before you put the head? Now, if you're passionate about property, but not a petrol. 70s. Yeah, Yeah. this is 70s. Very 70s. Before you were born, Blighty. Oh, yeah. I'll um, take it. So, uh, yeah, back in the day, it was a big account. And they're they go. So I walked out, spot the guy. I spot the guy who I sold the van to. And I said, I've brought your van. Great. He said, we'll take it for a test drive. And with that, he grabbed one of the young ladies in this party, told her to grab a bottle of champagne. That young lady, by the way, is still a friend of mine to this very day and still in the advertising industry. And off we went. 
And I said, I'll drive. No, no, I'll drive. So we get in this thing and I'm thinking, oh, Mike, this poor girl is in the back of this van. No seats, nothing to hang on to, sliding about all over the place. He's driving us up and down around Bournemouth. And I'm thinking, if I make this back alive, that will be a miracle. Well, I did make it back alive. And I ended up leaving that party about four o'clock the following morning. Uh, and only then was allowed to go on the promise that I would come back on the Monday and sign up and go and work for him. And that's how it happened. And I, 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 honestly, the rest, as they say, you know, is, is history. And that was 1981. So how did you get from that side of uh, a business to the property side? Well, the, the my, one of my first, one of my biggest accounts was Clark, Clark Holmes. Do you remember Clark Holmes? Mm-hmm. They got acquired. They got as as so many do. Yeah, they got acquired. There was, a, there was a more round back in the day, yeah, wasn't there? Yeah, I'm I'm determined. By the way, one of these days, I am going to put together the big family tree chart of all the firms that we worked for down the years and who acquired them and what they turned into. And it's fascinating, you know. And you know, when you actually look at somebody like Taylor Wimpy. And Taylor Wimpy down the years, it could have been McLean, it could have been George Wimpy, it could have been Alfred McAlpine Holmes, it could have been Hassel Holmes, it could have been Taylor Woodrow, you name Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and all of these firms and all of these great brands, and Bryant, of course, and yeah. all of these great brands have all gone in to TW. It used to be a thing I used to say that I could walk into a Taylor Wimpy office anywhere. I know somebody. And even, I was going to say that even though it's got Taylor Wimpy on the wall behind the, the receptionist, after five minutes, I could tell you which firm they used to be because the culture, culture yeah. was so different from someone that worked in McLean, say, to somebody that worked in Alfred McAlpine. The culture was unbelievably different. Well, and again, it's another thing that, the you know, the message that we don't get out there, we, we look at house builders as the same and they're not. No. They're funded oh, differently. No. They build differently. Oh, absolutely. They have a different work culture. The kind of person that, you know... BPC recruitment, I'm in that because I've been like you've been around a long time. You can see somebody that from Taylor Wimpy might not fit into working for a Barclay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. interesting. But we, and again, we, I know we're in a commercial world, but there's so many wonderful things. That family tree would be so interesting. I know. I'm going to gonna do it. it. I'm going to do it. It's one of my things where I know I'm going to do it. I just need to say, right. You know. So school qualifications, where did you go to school? Uh, I went to school in Portsmouth, believe it or not. Yeah, I went to Northern Grammar School in Portsmouth, which was the same school as Jim Callaghan, who used to be Prime Minister of the Gentleman Jim, they used to call him. And um, uh, yeah, I went to school in Pompey uh, and got thrown out. Um, I was going to stay on and do A-levels. Unfortunately, an opportunity cropped up to go and work in the little yellow and black boxes in national car parks. Back in the day, they used to have blokes in those little boxes and you'd stamp the ticket and you'd give them to the person that came in in the car and, and they were paying a fortune. It was like eight pounds a week. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I, I need some of that. The problem was, it was a summer holiday job and I was all set to stay on and do A-levels at Northern. But if I didn't take the job that week, it would go to someone else. So I forged a letter. So, no, first of all, this is how silly we <laughs> by are. The way, by the time we finish this, you do realise yeah, there's going to be arrested, police cars yeah. outside. There's going to be all sorts kicking I can. All, I think I can hear the sirens now. <laughs> so this is what we do as kids, isn't it? So first of all, I go and ask for permission. Bear in mind, all the exams are done and finished. Can I finish term a week early, sir? No, you can't. But we're not doing anything. We're just 
playing table. We can't because if I let you do it, everyone will want to do it. Then mysteriously, I go down with an illness and a very scratchy letter from my mother arrives at the school saying, Matt's not very well. In fact, Matthew, she always used to call Matthew's not very well. It won't be in uh, for the rest of the week. Well, it doesn't take a genius, does it, to put two and two together here. And I'll never forget being in my little yellow and black box. And here's the thing. I can even remember the record that was on this little transistor radio in my little black and white box. It was Limmy and the Family Cooking, You Can Do Magic. That was playing on the radio. And my mother, I was in there clonking out the tickets. Bear in mind, I was lying through my teeth to my mother as well. I I was telling her I was going to school every day and I was going to this bloody car park. And I'm clonking out the tickets. I've got my little yellow and black coat on, nothing underneath. I was a skinny little rascal in those days. And this woman is walking across the car park in the blazing sunshine with gloves, handbag and big coat on. And I remember thinking, why would you be wearing a coat on a lovely day like this? Clonk, clonk. Oh, my God, that's my mother. And she walked up to the box and she said to me the very worst thing. So I'm thinking, here we go. And she walked up to the box and she said, I'll speak to you when you get home. Right. And with that, she turned around and walked off. She couldn't have done any more damage than that. Was she the disciplinarian at home? No, she only by, never physically, but only by shame. You know, she'd be ashamed of yourself. I can remember my mum would moan at me all the time. And I used to bunk off school and all sorts. But my dad only smacked me once. And I say smacked. And I can remember that glow going up my bum for another week after that. <laughs> he just hit me. So, but just on my bum, it just... But my mum was always on my case. Right. But my dad was a disappointment. No, well, I, no I never ever had hands laid on. But but the 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 event prompted me saying... So the, the a French teacher at school said, I can sort this. You know, we can get you to stay. It, it, and I, it was too late. I'd tasted the freedom and tasted the money. And so I literally left at age 16. And that was it. So where does the, the world where, work. where does the passion come for property then? From having a property account very very early on in the advertising Just that business. Way. Yeah, yeah, and really, really enjoying it. And and you know, I've said down the years many many times, I'm a frustrated builder. When I retired, when I my retirement didn't last very long before I went back. But after, I, can I sorry to interrupt? I'm really glad that you're back. Thank because you. Because it's one Thank of you. my complaints about the industry: the people that leave. It's not about them making money. The people that leave, we lose too many good people to come back and give advice across. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. something that we need and we, we don't do that. I love being the silly old git in the agency. It's great. It's this Our building is packed out with all these bright kids and they are clever, uh, brilliant. And, uh, and they put up with me, bumbling about the place. And the thing is that although I might not be the world's expert on SEO or social media or all the other good stuff that's out there, I have got a lot to offer in terms of just interaction with clients and the way that the world spins. So. You, you, you bring along nuggets, as I call it. You know, I often say it to the, the people in our business that go and have a meeting with somebody. If you come away with one bit of nugget of information, that's going to stand you in good stead going Absolutely, forward. yeah. And and, yeah. and that's another thing. So, sorry I interrupted you, but, you know, I'm really glad no. that you're with us and I'm really glad that you do that still today when you could have easily walked away from it. Not at all, not at all. I'd, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I look back now, having left school at 16 with a bunch of O-levels and nothing else, uh, with deep regret. And um, I'm a, you know, I'm an avid swallower of general knowledge and, I, you know, I 
learn languages and I you know I, the, the thought of going back into education at some point in my life has not left me I mean me and my little daughter uh, the medical student daughter we do all of the quiz programs we even though she lives in London I live on the south coast you know we separately we do our crosswords and how fast can you yeah. do them she's got a s- subscription to the times as well we both do it and I so you know I have a absolute thirst for all of that and I deeply regret missing that chunk of my education well before you run off and start doing some sort of diploma or degree <laughs> just remember that this industry needs people like you in it it's kind pass, of you to say so to pass on you. the stuff for the future On the, on the subject of the industry, um, appreciate you've got some non-exec roles, appreciate you, you've sort of heavily embedded in it over the years. Is there things that you think that we don't do better to promote ourselves? Do you, do you think, is there some tricks we're missing? It's difficult, isn't it? And, and I think that, certainly I think that the SME builders can learn a lot from some of the things that the big builders do. And equally, I think the big builders can learn a lot from some of the things that the SMEs do. And somewhere sitting in there is the right way to go about things. I think one of the best things we're working with the smaller independents is their agility and their flexibility. And when you get a market that's similar to the one that we've had over the last 18 months, which is in transition, which is always the most dangerous part for a builder. And and, and that doesn't matter whether that's transition downwards or transition upwards that transition has all sorts of effects in terms of land values in terms of overhead costs in terms of cash utilization and work in progress and all of those other elements that can be a real threat in what is a difficult business Uh, and and they can each learn from each other it you know one of the things i often say to sme builders when i when i'm out and about i'm visiting is Sort out your presentation. Start there and invest in it. Yep. Uh, you know, look brilliant. Look brilliant. And right now, the new homes industry is really struggling for market share against secondhand. All sorts of reasons. It would take us another one of these sessions to just yep, absolutely. Uh, uh, analyze those reasons. Um, so, so you can have to justify the biggest price price differential probably there has ever been between new and secondhand right now. And it starts with looking awesome. And, you know, I always challenge the big guys, the big builders. Every Whenever I meet a sales team or a build team, I will always ask, how often does the sales advisor on that site walk the site with the site manager? Because it starts there so that you both look at it together. And you... I, I, I deal with some sales directors, that sales directors that don't go to site. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They sit in what I call their ivory tower. Yeah. And they don't go to site. And I, and I just sit there and I think, wow. And and I haven't just met, I've met a few, not just one or two, a good few. Quite incredible, quite incredible. I I think that the, the sales director generally, I think, has a really tough gig. I think uh, it's a massive responsibility. You know, even in your typical regional business uh, that, that's part of a national a multi-region developer will have probably 10 or a dozen live sites 
each of those live sites is probably selling between 30 and 60 uh, new homes a year yep. on, on average. Yep. And on that basis, then you're talking about a, a business. So each of those sites is probably 20 million turnover. You then multiply that up by a dozen sites. You're talking about a business with 150, 200 million pound turnover. And they are carrying the responsibility for that turnover. It's a big, big ask. Uh, and at times like we're in at the moment where pressure's gone on, uh, where the market has shifted, there's been transition, the power has moved into the hands of the buyer. Uh, these people, these men and women doing that job, come under immense pressure trying to support asking prices that generally are too high mm -hmm. because the developers are always obviously and understandably very slow to follow a market down. Yeah. And 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 so, so, you know, I think any... Don't get me wrong. Any sales director ain't going to site. Ain't going to last very long, in my view. Um, no, but them, uh, but I have got a lot of sympathy. It's a tough, tough gig, sales director. Tough gig. Government. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, left or right? I've been in both. You've been in both. It would seem to me at the moment that the Conservative government are not connected to the housing market in the UK? Well, one of my very good mates uh, is Stuart Baisley, who's yep. chairman of the HBF. Uh, amazing guy, works much harder than people realise for the industry. Uh, and much of what he does happens at a political level. Uh, and um, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but if you talk to Stuart, and I was with him very recently, he, in his experience, and he's been in the industry a long time, that this current government is doing less for the house building industry than any other government he has ever known. And in fact, it's almost turned upon the industry. Uh, you know, even just this morning, you know, it's breaking depending when this goes out. But, you know, j just right now, we've got Michael Gove saying he's going to abandon targets. <coughs> um, and, and, you know, we've seen this current government in absolute turmoil with, with the leaders, multiple leaders. You know, I mean, Rishi, for goodness sake, yep. got his gold watch a couple of months ago for lasting a year, didn't yep. he? I mean, it's quite it's extraordinary. Amazing nowadays, isn't it? One leader of the party has lasted an entire year. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And they are running so scared of being ousted by their MPs or their members that they are just caving in to any demands. And of course... One of the big demands in the shires and, and you know, the, those type of seats are stop building. Yeah. Stop building. Um, uh, Rupert Bates once said, uh, one of his opening speeches to a Watt House Awards lunch uh, that stays in my memory. And that's not bad because normally everybody talks over poor old Rupert's opening they speech. Do, yeah. um, but I remember very well, you know, every, the, the, you know, the big thing is NIMBY, isn't it? Not in my backyard. People talk about that. Uh, and this was about four or five years ago. And he said that, the NIMBY is now moving off into the past. And what is emerging is the banana, which is build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything. <laughs> and, and and I thought, well, that's great. I love that and banana it's, thing. And it's interesting, I mean, because, you know, great for you and I, because uh, we're all supposed to be living longer. So I remember when my dad was 50, he, yeah. he was ancient to me. Yeah. Um, we, we get more and more people want to come to the UK. We... I think maybe we push a couple of hundred thousand properties last year. 
we had 750,000 net migration. This is, not a, this is not a migration conversation, but 750,000 coming in, 200,000 new homes. We're 4 million short in what we should be building. Bonkers, and, isn't it? And, and well, it is yeah. bonkers because we're, we're trying to keep people alive longer, it would seem. We are living longer. What, where's the logic? I mean, I look at it about grandchildren. You know, I don't look at my kids, I look at my grandchildren. Yeah, me and I you think, both, yeah. Where are they going to go? Yeah, absolutely. I know, and, and it's, you know, the, the planning system is in disarray. So it, it is absolute disarray. I'm sure you're aware of the issues over nutrient neutrality, um, which means that the the green lobby, if you like, has a gun against the industry's head, even though the, the farming community and the agriculture is a much greater polluter with nutrients than the house building industry is. Uh, and there's 150,000 homes locked up waiting for planning permissions that are being held up because of nutrient neutrality issues and, and and something that the government promised they were going to fix and then dropped out the legislation at the very last minute. And, that, the and last that's, that's the trouble. And, it, and you mentioned, Stuart, and, um, you know, we've um, we've asked the HBF to, to, to send somebody along. Hopefully that uh, you'll, you'll talk to Stuart today and tell him I don't bite. Um, <laughs> it'd be lovely to see Stuart here. Um We've we've written to the new housing minister. Wow, they they last yeah. a long time, don't they, Mr. Rowley? This is his second. Oh, his second go. Yeah, he was four weeks yeah. before, yeah, wasn't absolutely. he? I think. That, well, in fact, I say I think I know that in this since the Cameron government in 2010, there have been 16 yeah. housing ministers, if you count Lee Rowley's second stint as as yeah. two. And that's really interesting because during that same time, there have been 16 interest rate rises as well. So it seems like we get a housing minister for every interest rate rise. But for nothing else. No, nothing else. <laughs> well, it's, it's bonkers. It, bonkers. So we've, we've written to him asking him to come on the show. And, it, and the show is about bringing awareness. Um, it's about actually understanding that where are we going to live? Are we going to go under the arches, are we, with the Mitchell brothers? <laughs> Where, where are There's we? only one brother left, isn't there? The other one died in a... Didn't he die? Well, I stopped watching EastEnders when my friend came out. And funnily oh. enough, Ross Kemp's coming on this show as well. <laughs> so um, well, I'll ask him. I'll say to him, well, what did you I do with think, Phil? I think he copped it in a car that went into the lake. Well, when he comes on, well, he might not be able to come on now. He might be have to put his balaclava <laughs> back on. But no, he's he's due to come on uh, in about six weeks, funny enough. Get out of my uh, pub. Yeah, I've always wanted to say, get out of my pub. Uh, well, get when out he, my well, pub. When he comes, I'll get him to do it for you. Would you? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. But it's it's interesting, isn't it, that what where are our grandchildren going to live? And oh, and the industry, as you, you, you hit upon it, the Section 106, what we do, I don't see many people doing it. And I get now... There's a political situation where I think we're all scared to talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and bring me, bring me, because you touched on it on one of one of the um, house builders charities that uh, you was at the other day. Mental awareness. What's your, what's your time? I, I suffer from my mental stuff. You know, I've the people that work with me know that I have um, bad days. Um, there's no, there's no underlying reason. I had a lovely childhood, so there's no, there's no underlying. I just struggle a little bit. Sure. Um, what, what's your take on? Well, I count myself incredibly lucky, and I, and I, I hate cliches, but if you want a cliche, 
for mental health. It's there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. We're, we're none of us immune to the possibility of that. I'm I'm just incredibly lucky that my worst days come down to after I've been watching Palace at home. I, <laughs> I was there last Wednesday night when they lost 2-0 at home to Bournemouth and it wasn't a pleasant experience. But but no, all, all joking aside, because it's, it's not something to joke about, uh, I think it's incredibly important. I picked up your comment from earlier on about are we a little bit too you know, are we not hardy enough? You know, in just yeah, the same absolutely. way as back in the day, you, you know, people used to have colder temperatures at home and, 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 and fewer coats and hats and gloves, you know, so we were a hardier bunch of people. We used to walk places rather than drive everywhere, you know, that sort of thing. And I also think there is an element of that with mental health too. And I think that, you know, I think we've, we've lost some of our resistance to it. We're a bit more prone to it, a bit more aware of it but that doesn't mean I belittle it in any way shape or form and I think it is one of the most difficult areas of health to get support from the general public for I served for a long long time on the board of friends for a hospital called St Anne's uh, in Poole which is a big mental health hospital down in Poole and one of the reasons I wanted to do that is because it is such a difficult cause to raise money for. Yeah, You know, people talk about cancer, people talk about children's charities, all of which are hugely important, um, but mental health is massive. And uh, nowadays, my wife, Tiff, is heavily involved in a, a fabulous farm project called Highmead Farm, uh, which is down just north of Bournemouth uh, and is absolutely brilliant. It's a live working farm where what they call co-workers can come along so people that have challenges mentally um in all sorts of different ways you know everything from you know that the every aspect of the scale for autism for example life can be very very difficult and it is a joy to see them on the farm and getting involved and planting stuff and getting involved interacting with the animals and uh and high mead is a wonderful place and and tiff is heavily involved in that i'm delighted to say that my daughter, when she was at school, went there as well on school, you know, experience yep. days and stuff. Um, so there are great people supporting it and, and it, raising funds for it is really important. So I'm a I'm an avid supporter of that type of endeavour. Uh, you know, it's difficult and I think we all need to be acutely aware of it because it could be us next. Absolutely right. And I think I think the other thing to, you know, again, going back to the government, going back to the HBF, going back to what we're trying to do in this podcast is um, if people and I remember Tony Pidgeley, I mean, severely Who misguided forget Tony industry. Pidgeley, absolutely. He was a lovely he was a lovely man to me. Unbelievable um, guy. And it was a tragic loss. Um, but I always remember Tony sitting there and saying one day about, uh, you know, he, he redeveloped or Barclay redeveloped a big scheme. Uh, in on Seven Sisters Road, Finsbury Park, um, terrible area, and it, they Barclay ran and I mean, you go there now; it's amazing, it's unbelievable. And I always remember him saying to me, "Blighty, where people live will dictate a lot of things that go on in life." Yeah, yeah, that's quite true, absolutely. And 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 if the government, if we're not building more property and we're in our way and nobody wants it in their back garden, and all these things are allowed to prevail. God forbid, I worry, I worry. I don't worry about my children so much. I worry about my, you know, yeah, I've got absolutely. one uh, 
grandchild at the moment and another one on the way. And I look at her and I think, oh my God. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've got two grandkids and I, I know exactly what you mean. Just picking up Mr. Pidgeley for a moment though. A couple of things really with Tony. Number one, I would love to know, because it's not been found yet, I would love to know where he hid his crystal ball before he died. <laughs> it's somewhere because he must have it. It's like one of these palantirs they had was, on Lord of the Rings. He was unbelievable, wasn't he? Oh, my word. Oh, nobody could call the market well, like he I think he. I think he would be actively buying land now. Probably. And I appreciate that the, the, the Barclay model's uh, grown and altered. Yeah. But he would be buying land. Yeah. That it's a very think. smart business he's left behind him, run by some very smart people. Absolutely. Uh, and the business is still doing very well despite his absence. Um, but his ability to call the market was unbelievable. And here's a little Tony Pidgeley story for you. Uh, I don't know how much time we've got left, but but I remember doing an HBF. No, it wasn't HBF. It was an NHBC evening I spoke at in Essex. And this is probably about 15 years ago, I would think. And I'm up on stage and I'm doing the thing. And in it, I told a very old joke that was originally, I think, a a, a joke about a you know American billionaire, and I told it about Tony Pidgeley, and I had no idea he was in the audience. He was in the audience, and I'm about halfway through this gag Good luck with that one, and I'm telling it like it's fact, and I'm halfway through this gag, and I've suddenly caught his eye, and I could see him looking <laughs> at me with his arms folded like this, like he used to do, with his head cocked on my side. I thought, oh shit. Okay, then I had no choice, obviously, but to see the gag through, which I did, which I did. Uh, and um, he made a point of saying to me afterwards, he said, I don't believe we've met you and I. So I said, oh, no, I don't think we have Mr. Pidgeley, no. <laughs> he said, I'm not sure if we'll ever fucking meet again either. <laughs> oh, okay, sir. He he was just uh, just an unbelievable character. He was and, amazing. And, then, and I just want to touch on, you know, characters. Um, this industry has got some amazing personalities oh, in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, I spoke recently at the HMI, the Housing Market Intelligence Conference in town, uh, which was a great honour to be asked to speak at. That, well, I've been wanting to do that for 20 odd years. So I got the gig, finally got the gig. Uh, and as I said, right at the uh, um, start of the thing, I said that, you know, looked at the audience. And there it was full of the great and the good of the house building industry. Uh, and I said, it's amazing to look out on you all now. I said, and I, I can tell you from looking at the people in this room, there are a number of people in here that I respect. I said, there's quite a few that I admire. And I said, there's even one or two I quite like. Uh, and it's an extraordinary thing. But I am sad about people that have gone. Yep. I think about Steve Rosier, who was a misunderstood yeah, genius. Bigfoot. Who Bigfoot indeed, who died last year, uh, tragically and unexpectedly. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I think about when I drive up the M11 and I see the signs for Camborne, uh, and I remember how all that started. I remember, you know, it was when it was Monkfield, whatever it was, and, you know, just a f series of flat, windy fields. Um, and now it's this beautiful, thriving community. And so much of that was Steve's dream that he pushed yeah. through with Terry Farrell, the architects. Um, and, you was know, it Prouting? Uh, it, well, no, that was before Prouting. That was McAlpine. McAlpine. That was back it. there. Yeah. The Camborne name, by the way, here's a little story for you. True story. Promise you. People often say, I named Camborne. Well, 
Steve Rosier really named Camborne in the end. But we were given the gig to name this new town uh, and to, like, you know, give it its ID and stuff. And so we did like we would always do. And we kicked off with a whole load of research. Um, we had a little look. And it was really important, particularly with Bar Hill, so close by, which was a, a really great example of how not to do it. Uh, and so we wanted to give this a real sense of place. So we didn't want it to be a poppy meadows or a fresh fields or whatever. We wanted it to sound like a town. So anyway, I researched and did a long list of names. Now, back in the day when Camborne happened, and it's a long time ago now, probably 20 years ago now, yep. uh, my party piece, my dinner meal ticket was doing uh, impersonations of a Cornish comedian called Jethro. Also no longer with us, probably just as well. It's now, I'm afraid, completely, you know, he's he would be cancelled. Oh, he would be allowed to do it today. Wasn't here. Exactly. But back in the day, and Jethro's big gag, Steve Rose's favourite Jethro gag, was one where the punchline was, this train don't stop at Camborne on a Wednesday. So that that was the, the whole Camborne gag. Was, so I submitted to Steve this big long list of names for the new settlement, southwest of Cambridge. And at the end, after this recommended list, I put, or if you prefer, what about Camborne with an exclamation mark? And it went in on the document. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was his favourite joke. Did it and, he, and he took it. He rang me up that <laughs> afternoon. He said, Matt, I've chosen the name. I said, well, well, what do you mean? We, we haven't researched it. Already. He said, I've chosen it. He said, it's Camborne. And, and worse still, the local authority, South Cam's District Council, objected violently to the choice of this name and they summoned Steve and his team to appear in front of the subcommittee to justify the choice of name. So, of course, you can imagine what, what Plonker got the job, can't you? He rang me up. He said, um, next Thursday, he said, you're appearing in front of South Cam's. I said, what? He said, you've got to justify your choice of the name, Camborn. I said, mate, it wasn't my bloody choice. It was your bloody. <laughs> they were he obviously Jeffro fans. <laughs> yeah. He said, you've got to justify it. And so I invented this great long, the River Cam and a born, and I invented this great long story. It was miles from the truth. The truth was it was a punchline and Jethro gag, for goodness sake. Well, uh, I think we've, you know, I, I could sit here and talk to you, uh, Matt, for a long time, and we're going to do that because you and I are going to go and have some lunch. But um, thank you very much for coming. You've been exactly what I know you are. Thank you. Thank you. I can't great... believe how quickly it's flown past. Uh, well, you know, that's people say it's my looks and company make Indeed. that happen. But um, seriously, it's been lovely. I'm honoured that you came. Um, and I'm sure we'll get you back. Um, we have good intentions here to to drive this podcast, to make it true, to make it interesting, but really also to get the, to get the industry to come along and actually just actually sing about the good things and the wonderful things we do. And, and let's hope that we don't lose any more of our personalities and characters, or not Indeed. too quickly anyway. Indeed. Indeed. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, for the listeners and the viewers, um, I hope that you look at this and you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I'm the lucky one here. So um, thanks, Matt, for um, just uh, exposing your your mindset and telling us what your views are. It's been an absolute pleasure, Bitey. It really has. Thoroughly enjoyed every minute. Thank you very much. Thank you.